0: We now begin Mesechas Miser Sheni, and this is the general introduction. The word Miser Sheni means second tithe, and it refers to, um, indeed, the second tithe relative to the first tithe. So what is that talking about? As we said in previous Mesechas, all produce that grows in Eretz Yisrael is subject to four different tithes. The first being Trumagadola, a gift to the Kohen. The second being Miser Rishon, the first tithe, which goes to a lady. Of that Meiser Rishon, that the lady receives, he gives a tenth to the Kohen, that's called Trumas Meiser. And then finally, there's another fourth tithe taken by the farmer himself. Now, in some years, that's Meiser Shani, the topic of Arma Sekhta. In other years, it's Meiser Ani. The agricultural cycle in the Torah is divided into a seven year repeating cycle. The seventh year, familiar to us, is the year of Shemitah, the sabbatical year. The other six years are actually divided into two separate mini-cycles each of three years. In each of those three-year mini-cycles, the first two have the rule of Meister Shani applicable and the third has the rule of Meister Ani. Not for today what that is. That's a gift giving it to the poor. So that means in years one and two and then again in years four and five of the seven-year Shemitah cycle, the Meister Shaini separation must be taken. The second tithe after the Meister Rishon, the first tithe is taken and given to the lady. What does one do with this Meister Shani? He keeps it for himself. So you shouldn't think of it as a tax per se. It's not that he's losing it, which is the case when it comes to Truma Godola and Meister Rishon, as well as Meister Ani when that happens, gifts to the poor. When it comes to Meister Shani, the owner himself, the farmer, he will keep this produce, but the produce is invested with a certain um, kadusha, sanctity. And the basic idea is that one takes that produce and consumes it inside Yerushalayim. Okay? So that's what Meisr Sheni is. Now, the Masech itself actually doesn't just cover Meisr Sheni. It's five Prakim long, five chapters. The first four deal with Meisr Sheni. The fifth chapter deals with the topics of Revai, fourth year produce, as well as the Alachas of bior and Viduya Meisrus, the requirements um, to ultimately um, settle the score and get rid of all the various tithes and make sure they're all processed, as well as the vidui, which is the verbal confirmation that one did what he was supposed to do. So let's talk about each one in turn. Let's first talk about meister Shani a little more and how that works. So the most distinguishing feature of meister Shani is that it is kadosh, it's sanctified. The pasuk refers to it as being kodesh l'Hashem, it's holy to God. And in fact, really interestingly, there's a mechlokas... To Naim, whether that means that the Meisr is really God's property, if you will. Uh, in Hebrew, mamun gavoa, property of on high. And that's the sheet of Reb Meir, and that actually is the halacha. He argues to Reb Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda holds its mammon hediyat. It's a private property owned by the person who separates it. Um, but according to Reb Meir, which is the halacha, When one separates his Meister Shani, he designates this holy food to be taken to Yerushalayim and eaten there, but it's not his food. It belongs to Hashem himself, and it's just that when the farmer will take this produce to Yerushalayim and consume it there, he'll be, so to speak, eating it from God's table, eating God's food, if you will. So, for example, that means since the property isn't his, he can't use it to purchase something else as a bartering item, or as the classic litmus test is, in Halacha, if you would give it to a woman and say, Here's my Meiser Shani, I'm giving it to you, Hareat Mukadesh but Shani Zu, I'm going to be use this to marry you, much as one gives a ring to a woman under a chuppah today. So even if the woman accepts it, she's not married to him because the Meiser Shani doesn't belong to him in the first place. He's not transferring something to her that's his, it's not his at all. He's actually not entitled to transfer it at all. Okay, so that's the. the defining feature that it's Kodesh Lashem that this is sanctified food and that being the case it has a number of restrictions first of all Maishr Shani has to be eaten B'tahara it has to be eaten in a state of of ritual purity that's interesting in as much as if one would normally say what foods are required to be eaten B'tahara the general answer is Chumas the Kohen's food that applies just to Kohanim as well as Kachim sacrificial foods which um, could apply to the a regular person when he brings a korban, like a korban pesach, for example, um, he must eat a b'tahara. But in general, foods that I'll call chulin here, meaning less sanctified than truma, never have requirements of tahara; they never have to be eaten b'tahara. However, maiser sheni is an exception to that rule. Maiser sheni must be eaten b'tahara, um, meaning both the food must remain Tahor, and that's a mandate, as well as the person eating the food must be Tahor. Um, however, unlike Truma and kachim, it's less susceptible to Tuma than other things like Truman Miser, meaning excuse me, Truma and kadshim, excuse me. Meaning that while um, something that's a a shenula a second degree removed from Tuma, whatever that would mean if you don't know, um, can render Truma to be Puzzle, invalidated. It also can cause kutchin to be Tame. It cannot affect Maestro Shani. A Shane Latuma, second degree Tame thing, um, cannot um, posel cannot invalidate Maestro Shani. Okay. In addition, um, there's a separate rule that the Maestro Shani may not be eaten by an onen, someone who is in the intense state of mourning that occurs on the day that one of his um, seven relatives that he's required to mourn for die uh, the day itself according to Midoraisa for those seven relatives who is the who are the mother, father sister, brother son, daughter and wife and those if one of those relatives are, pass away then Midoraisa on the day of the passing he's an onan and may not eat Miser Shani and Midorabun extends uh, until the following night, as well as as long as the person who has died is not buried. Okay, now, another fascinating feature about Maestr Shani, which dominates much of the Masechta, is the issue of, of pidyon redemption. So, the Torah, which gives a mitzvah mida'oraysa to separate this Maestr Shani and Edith Yerushalayim, also gives a separate provision that if one feels... He's unable to schlep the Meisr Shani to Shalim. So then he is permitted, midoraisa, he's the Torah allows him, to transfer the Kedusha, the sanctity, off of this foodstuff, the Meisr Shani foodstuff, and on to coins, onto money, regular minted coins. That process is called pidion, redemption. The, one redeems the sanctity off of the foodstuff and transfers it onto the coin. Um, that's a mitzvah to itself and actually there's a bracha to be made I want to make a bracha on the pidion of Meisr Shani that pidion can happen in one of two ways it can either happen there um, chilul straight out you know you just want to essentially put the food on the side you say this bottle of wine is a Meisr Shani bottle of wine I don't want to schlep it through lime, it's too far it's too heavy um, therefore I'll transfer the kadusha from the bottle of wine onto um, some coins and um, and when one does that, he simply um, does it based on the value of the wine itself. If a bottle of wine goes for 50 shekels, so then he would have to get 50 shekels worth of coins to transfer the kadusha of the wine onto. In the event that there's sort of a um, a range of prices, as there always is between you know buyers and sellers or between um, wholesalers and retailers, one actually can use the lower price. So one has to use the real market price but he can use um, the real market price that applies to, let's say, a wholesale transaction. Worthy of note also is the provision that when if one does simply deconsecrate his own property, so when he does that, like the example I gave you, he has to um, also be... He has to add an extra a chomesh, an extra 25% to the value. That is to say, for example, if a person is redeeming... Uh, four grapes, and for argument's sake, each grape is worth one shekel, so then the value of the four grapes is four shekels, but he has to, um, if he redeem his own grapes that belong to him personally, he has the most of a chomesh. he adds a fifth, meaning he adds a fifth shekel to the total. So he'll actually have to come up with a five shekel coin for those four grapes. The reason why it's called a chomesh is because you're adding a fifth for every four. Of course, in our Way we describe it in English that's adding 25% right because 4 25% of 4 is 1 okay so of chomesh uh, just FYI two interesting points the first is that if one doesn't add the chomesh that's not ma'akev it doesn't uh, invalidate the transfer the pidyon um, and also interestingly it's only applicable to men Based on a pasuk, if a woman owns those grapes and they're her grapes and she redeems them, she actually does not add the chomesh to it. Okay. Now, as I was saying before, there are two ways that one could go about doing this redemption: either derech Hillel, as I described, just simply doing it, or derech mechira of a sale. If I would sell my four grapes to you, and you pay me those four shekels, then the four shekels I receive for the transfer is a deconsecration effectively, and now the four coins that I received from you uh, must be kept and brought to Yerushalayim. Now, in both cases, whether I'm doing Derechil or machira, the coins that are the recipients of the Kedusha for the Meister Shani, those coins are to be brought to Yerushalayim and um, used in Yerushalayim to purchase consumables. That means food, drink, and oil for anointing one's body; those are the only legitimate uses of the Shani money. One may not uh, pay a taxi in Yerushalayim or his hotel bill, etc. Um, anointing oils is permitted because uh, anointing is considered to be equivalent to to drinking. Now, before he takes it to Yerushalayim, he's certainly allowed to do this this deconsecration, which, by the way, is sometimes referred to as chilul, simply deconsecration. Um, but oftentimes Chil is referring to the act of taking the Kadusha off the coins and now transferring it on, deconsecrating those coins, the Chil, deconsecration, and then using that money to purchase the food stuff in Yerushalayim. So I had the bottle of wine, I did Pidyon, transferring the value of the wine onto the coins, I bring the coins to Yerushalayim, I'll then use the money to go buy myself a bottle of whiskey in Yerushalayim, and... That process will be called chilul, deconsecrating the coins, transferring the kedusha of the coins back onto the bottle of whiskey, etc. Okay, now once one reaches Yushalayim, inside Yushalayim, there's action iser midoraisa from doing pityon. So once you've taken the foodstuffs, your bottle of wine into Yushalayim, there's no saying I'd much rather have whiskey than wine, and deconsecrating your the kedusha, taking the kedusha off of the. I'm putting out the coins, that's prohibited once you're inside Yerushalayim. Um, and also, there's a Din Midura Banan, that once you're inside Yerushalayim, you're not allowed to take your Meisr Shani, or anything invested with Meisr Shani, the, the foodstuffs, out of Yerushalayim. Once it's the Kadusha food with the Kedusha's Meisr is in there, it has to stay in there. Okay? Um, now, as far as the, the actual um, consumption of this food in Yerushalayim, so there's a technical requirement that you have to have a mizbeach, and the, the from the base of mikdash has to be has to be extant. So nowadays, of course, no base of mikdash and no base no mizbeach, and therefore there's certainly no one eating any um Meister Shani today. Now that being the case, the custom has become since the Evid, it's effective. If one transfers the Kedusha onto coins and doesn't provide the full value of the Meister Shani. in other words, I had a bottle of wine, my bottle of wine is worth 40 shekels, 50 shekels, doesn't matter, and I bring just even, you know, ten agorot, the smallest coin I have on hand, and transfer the Kadusha from the bottle of wine onto the ten agorot coin, that does work bidi evit. It is effective in transferring, and now all the Kadusha from the bottle of wine, Meister Shani, is on the single small coin. That works. Um, one is not supposed to do it under normal circumstances because you're sort of cheating the Meister Shani fund, if you will, um, but... Nowadays, since no one's going to be using that money to buy my Sushani foodstuffs anyways, that is permitted, and that's what people, in fact, do. Um, you need to just simply transfer on to the value of a pruta. A pruta is the smallest coin in the time of the Mishnah. A pruta is a, actually a weight, and it's the weight of roughly 1 40th, uh, somewhere around 1 40th of a gram of silver. If you run the numbers, nowadays, a pruta kavdati working worth somewhere between, say, 5 and 10 agorot, you know, whatever, less than a nickel, more than a penny, less than a nickel. Um, So pennies are not valid, valid, but a nickel or a -a ten-hagorot coin would be sufficient as your pruta. And one could transfer when he does, he's deconsecrating this pinion of his maestroshenity produce, he can put it onto simply, onto a -a ten-hagorot coin. The practice actually really, really neutral in Eretz Yisrael is that one gets a larger coin, say a ten-shekel coin, but transfers just one, onto one pruta worth of it at a time, so for argument's sake, we say that there each, if we assume that the pruta is worth 10 agorot, for argument's sake, that means you have a total of 100 agorot. Excuse, excuse, okay, forgive me, sorry. On, a, on a 10 shekel coin, if we assume that a pruta is 10 agorot, that means you'll have 100 prutos in that one 10 shekel coin. In other words, you could deconsecrate to pidgin on 100 different bottles of wine onto a single 10 Shekel coin, and that is actually the sort of thing that people do do. Okay, now, um, the ideal use, Khazal said, is that when one takes his money to Yerushalayim, he should use it to purchase animals that we brought as shlamim, a korban shlamim, and that way one actually can have the experience of coming to Yerushalayim um, and to the base of Mikdash and experiencing close to the Shem, bring the korban, and of course with the shlamim, certain parts go to the Mizbeach, other parts go to the Kohanim, and he person who brings it to Bilem, he eats um, the majority of, of that offering. That's the ideal use of money that's brought to Yerushalayim with Kadusha's Meister Shani. And that being the case, there's a a button that the rabbis did not allow one to buy animals for consumption, like you want to make a barbecue. With, you can't just buy a cow in Yerushalayim with your Meister Shani money, Midur um, and use it for your, you know, use it for a private barbecue. You'd have to purchase it simply and exclusively for the use of a korban as a shlommen. That would not apply for fish and poultry. If you want to buy a chicken, you could buy a whole living chicken, or you want to buy a fish, you could buy a fish swimming around in a whatever, not a problem. Okay, now um, one explanation, this is worth thinking about, of this whole Meister Sheni setup, which is very important to understand in terms of Jewish society, is that the Torah wants to set it up that a person's going to Eretz to Yushalayim, excuse me, going to Yushalayim three times a year on the Shalash Regalim, and the Torah wants your pockets to be full with money so you have money to spend and sort of experience Yushalayim not just for its ruchnius component of seeing, visiting the base of HaMikdash and feeling the presence of Hashem and seeing the Talmud HaChacham and seeing this and operation, etc., um, which a visit to Yushalayim is... Inspirational even today, where we have so many yeshivas and and so on happening there. Um, but also, that it should be sort of an uplifting uh, physical experience, and therefore, we want to make sure that you have enough money. The Torah wants to make sure you have enough money to purchase and, you know, be happy in the holiday. Um, and to that extent, also, it also, i wanted to arrange that the, the Shvakim, the marketplace of Yushalayim, were full. Um, so there was a sense of plenty when people came to Yushalayim. And there are separate rules about that that um, feature in the So We want it to work out that there's a sense of plenty in Yushalayim, because that's part of the experience. And then, um, if you just sort of imagine, it's sort of a beautiful thing to imagine. Um, three times a year, there was like a sort of national reunion where the whole claustral people came back um, to Yushalayim, the small town of Yushalayim, roughly speaking. And we're packed in together, and had this reunion, this sort of like camper reunion, three times a year, where they would bring Korbanos and celebrate together um, in a fest- festive uh, mood with, you know, plenty of of uh, food and drink, etc., to go around. One last fascinating halakha is that the Torah says that one has to declare in the vidui, which we'll get to in a moment, "Lonusati mimenu lemeis." I never, I didn't give from my ma'aser Shani to um a corpse so simple understanding is that means one didn't use his meister money to purchase uh burial shrouds or a coffin for a, a person who's died um the point is there are actually several explanations of the point but even if it's for a great mitzvah one it's not allowed to be done to use the money for a mitzvah burying someone um in addition, the Kesef Mishnah has the most beautiful idea. Kesef Mishnah in Hilchos in the third parak of the Rambam Hilchos Shani, Sheni, the Kesef Mishnah explains that when the pasuk says, "I didn't give it to a, over to a, a, a mace to a dead person," the idea is that the kadusha invested in Ma'aser Sheni is to be incorporated into one's person, his own his own body, um, which is fascinating. And the idea, therefore, is that a person is meant to take this. He actually has something a physical embodiment of kadusha the Kedushah of Israel, the fruit of Eretz Israel that has kadusha embedded in it. And he's actually supposed to incorporate it into his person. And that looks sort of, of, of course, you are what you eat. It builds up your person um, with actual kadusha something that's, that's with kadusha proper, which is a really a beautiful idea. Okay, so those are the Lachas of Maestr Shani in a nutshell, and that's what we'll be discussing. Those are the first four prakim. The fifth parak discusses first revai, and then it talks about the or and the Vidya Maestras. So let's talk about revai for a minute. The word revai. <coughs> Excuse me. The word "revi" means fourth, and refers to fourth-year produce. Um, the passage says, in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be uh, kodesh, sanctified hilulim lashem, sanctified for praise to Hashem." It's hard to translate exactly. It's a little a clumsy construction, um, and the fact that extra word "kodesh" is there makes for a Gezerah shava a link which connects the Halachas of Ravai, fourth year produce back to Meisr Shani, the second tithe, which is also referred to as Kodesh Lashem. So the Kodesh, Kodesh, extra words of Kodesh allow for the Gezerah shava which in the bottom line make the Halachas of Ravai very simple, similar I should say, to the Halachas of Meisr Shani. So rules like Kedusha, needing to eat Betara, bring it to shalim pedion, etc. all apply to revi as they do to Meister Shani. Um, when it comes to fruit in general, tree fruit, the first three years of a tree's life, its fruit is forbidden. It's called orla. It's blocked off. It's, it's restricted food. The fourth year produce um, is called revi. Now, um, really interestingly, um, there's a mehlokas amurayim. If the Torah is referring to any tree fruit in its fourth year, or specifically the fruit in a vineyard, Um, which would mean that every time that the Mishnah talks about ravai, according to those who say it's any tree fruit, they say that the proper girsah, the actual words that the Mishnah should say is neta ravai, a fourth year tree, let's say. Um, Whereas the other Amarayim will hold that it's applying specifically to grapes, actually take their pencil eraser and rub out the word netta every time and put in the word kerem kerem ravai fourth year vineyard fascinating which means that um, according to dozamurayim holds it's kerem ravai the rules of ravai only apply to a vineyard and that's based on the fact this other extra word in the Pasuk when it says kodesh hilulim dozamurayim darshan the word hilulim to refer to The very substance with which one, over which one, is mahalel, praise Hashem, and that's referring to wine, because in the Beit Hamikdash it's the time of the nisuch the libation, the pouring of the wine. um, With the the that's when the levim sing the shir shayom, etc. So the understanding is it's the wine which is facilitates. The hilul Havashem, the praising vashem that's kodesh hilulim, and also it's only one that has the halacha of Ravai. In any case, the halacha of the Rambam Paskins is like neta rivai, meaning we treat all tree fruit in its first three years as being orla, and in its fourth year, um, being Ravai, meaning net net. Um, just as in the first years, it's forbidden to eat in all circumstances. The revay will also be restricted. However, when it's allowed to redeem revay onto a coin Pidion, the same way one can redeem meiser sheni onto a coin, and that is the practice bezman um, hazeh that revive produce, all tree produce is redeemed. Um, very interestingly, in chutz the halachas of orla apply. That's halach lemosh misinai, There's a machlokus. Um, Rishonim, actually, if the halachas of Ravai, that's Ravai, fourth year produce applies in Chutzaritz also. In practice, um, it comes out that essentially we are machmer, although it's a little little more involved, um, and really make or din, it should be that only only uh, grapes should be subject to this requirement. But uh, in practice, I think people are more strict when they know what they're doing um, for all fruits. Okay, so that's Ravai. And again, the reason why it's included in this Masechta is because the Lachas of Ravai really are basically the exact same as the Lachas of Maestr Shani. The very end of the Masechta deals with the topic of, of Bior and Vidui. Uh, Bior, which means removal or destruction, is referring to the deadline that one faces, at which time he must settle the score with all of his tithing. So again, you recall, we have the farmer gives first Truma Gadola, 2% to a Kohen, then Meister Rishon, 10% of what's left to a Levy, and then he'll give Truma's Meisters from the Levy, but he, the farmer, will also then take off uh, Meister Shani in the years 1, 2, 4, 5, or Meister Ani in years 3 and 6. So there's a deadline. You don't have to give it right away. Maybe you don't have a Kohen handy for a long time, but the Torah prescribes that there are these two, three year mini cycles come to an end and by the end of the cycles meaning on Erev Pesach of the fourth year and of the seventh year meaning the seventh year meaning Shemitah an Erev Pesach that's the deadline by that point one has to have given all the Truma and Miser to the Kohanim and Levim respectively um, as well as the Miser Ani to the poor persons and if one hasn't, let's say, for example, one just couldn't find the Levi, and now it's Ere Pesach, and he's got some meiser Rishon lying around, so there's a requirement to be, or he has to destroy it. Going into Pesach, nothing can be left. Either you can give it to the Levi or Kohen poor person, or destroy it. It can't be left around any further. That happens twice. That happens in Ere Pesach of the fourth year, and Ere Pesach of the seventh year. Meiser shani is also subject to the Lachas of beer. however, it's a little different since one is taking his maestr sheni to Yerushalayim to eat there that week. So he's allowed to retain for himself the maestr sheni he would be eating during the week of Pesach. That is yes allowed. So one would retain that. And similarly, once a person has given his truma to a Kohen, the Kohen receives the truma, or the Levi receives the maestr, the Kohen and Levi may retain the truma of maestr past the beer deadline. They can keep it, because it's already now you know, tithed. Um, as far as Maishr Shani goes, a person can keep what he wants to eat or what he will eat during the Pesach holiday. But by the end of the Pesach holiday, by the last day of Yom Tov, in the afternoon, he has to have either consumed all his Maishr Shani or destroyed what's left. So that at the end of Pesach, on years four and year seven of the Shemitah cycle, he can do the vidui HaMaisras. Now, that's the last topic of Masechla. The video essentially boils down to reciting a few psukim that one finds in Devarim. It's in per uh, HaVav 26, psukim 13 to 15, uh, where one essentially says that he did what he was supposed to do um, with the tithing. And there's some explication over there. And um, and then he ends up by saying, Hashem as a tefillah just as we did what we were supposed to do with the tithing. You please do what you promised us and bless us, and our land. Um, so the Mishnahites will actually go through those Pesukim one by one and actually Darshan them. So we'll get to that at the end of the Masechta. Um, one interesting point in the word Vidui. So Vidui, which typically translated as confession, one of my things sort of implies that there's a sin to be atoned for. So either the answer is yes, there is, and it's a reference to the Sforno, for example, learns, that it's a reference to the fact that there would be no tro- kohenim and levim getting special gifts if there hadn't been the Cheta Egel, at which point the uh, the firstborn Jews of every home lost their status as being like the you know i the kohen of that home, and instead all the Bukhoros, the firstborns, were demoted, and in their place Shavit Levi took it. So that is how the Seforno learns. Um, it seems to me that according to the Rambam, the word vidui may not need- mean this at all. It could be that the word vidui um, actually means to verbally recount what has happened already in the past so for example the vidui that we're most familiar with meaning the vidui that one says at the end of the Chua process the Rambam lays out that a person has to have certain um, steps that happen internally inside his mind he has to have harata for what he did he has to abandon his sin um, and the way of life and then commit to not ever do it again but those things are happening internally then a person does the vidui and he says please Hashem I did such and such, I regret it, and I'm committing not to do it again. That vidui, that articulation, isn't the confession of sin per se, it's the articulation of what already went on inside him. He's speaking out of what happened already. And similarly over here, the vidui on the maestress is not a confession of some yes or no failure or you know success in the maestress process, but rather an articulation that the maestress was done as they were done, um, and therefore, there's actually this, this request at the end that Hashem to reciprocate and continue to bless us and make, take care of us and our land. Okay, so with that, we have, a I think, a reasonable summary and introduction to the Mesechta. And uh, now we begin Bez Hashem in earnest with Mesachis Maestro shani